Okay. All right, we're wired up now. We're, we're ready to start. Um, we're in Exodus 32, um, the story of the golden calf. Up to this point in Exodus, Israel has grumbled and quarreled and tried and tested the Lord and disobeyed the Lord. Um, one example, if you go back to the when the Lord first started sending manna and he gave them the instructions, he said, you gather it up on six days and on the sixth day you gather up enough for two days uh, because I'm not going to put manna out there on, on the Sabbath. Uh, and so in Exodus uh, 16... The people get up on the Sabbath morning and they rush out there to get their morning Sabbath, their morning manna, and there isn't any. And the Lord says, when are you going to believe me? When are you going to obey me? Um, you know, I've told you what this, how this is going to be. And so we've seen them struggle over and over and over with obedience to the Lord. Um, but today's story is so shocking because it comes right on the tail end of the Ten Commandments having been given. And the first two commandments are... You know, have no other gods before me and do not make unto me any graven images. And here today, they're going to not only put another god before him, they're going to make a golden calf to look like that god. Um, and it's just so blatant, um, the disobedience um, that, that, that the people are going to exhibit uh, in the story today. Um, the, uh, Dr. DeGuid compared this to the uh, scene at the creation, the fall at the creation, um, that Adam and Eve, um, you know, God made Adam and Eve in his own image, and he established a relationship with them, placed them in the garden, gave them everything they would ever need, and he only gave them one rule. Don't eat of the tree of fruit, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, and But they thought, well, we know better than God, so let's do that. Let's try that. Um, in hopes that they would see things that they otherwise wouldn't understand. Um, so they could be like God, or they could maybe even be God. And that's kind of the same thing the people of, um, of Israel here are doing in this story. You know, that they want to fashion a God that they can see and understand and trust and know, um, that they can't seem to get a hold of the, the real God. They can't, he's... He's appeared to them as a cloud of smoke and fire and, and with a loud, booming voice. And, and he's done incredible, great works and mighty miracles, including, you know, all the plagues in Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. And if you stop and think about that, a God with that kind of power is scary. You know, that's, that's something to, to be concerned about. You know, how can we trust somebody so powerful, so we typically want to make a God that we think we can understand, that we can control, that, that we don't have to fear. Um, and, and so that's kind of what they're doing when they, when they decide to create a God of their own, is, is to kind of relieve the fear. We don't know we we're scared by this God, and we don't know that we could trust him. So we'll start reading in Exodus 32, verse 1. The people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, um, we did not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Well, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. 
And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And, he, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and then rose up to play. Um, you know, God has reminded the people over and over and over again that it is he who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. He's promised to take them to a land that is lush and flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be incredible. He's made them his people. He promises them descendants that outnumber the stars. Um, but here we are in verse 1, and the people are declaring, as for this Moses... You know, who brought us up here out of Egypt, almost as if, you know, this was Moses' doing, that this wasn't necessarily God's doing. They take the credit and place and give it to Moses for having brought them up because really it's a bad thing. They're looking at it now. We're out here. Moses, we don't know where Moses is uh, and we're in trouble. We don't know what to do. And so this is not a good thing that we've been brought up out of Egypt where we all lived comfortably. Even though we were slaves, we were comfortable. Um, and so now that Moses has gone off and he's gone to spend 40 days on the mountain with God, getting all the law hand, written down for him and so he could bring it back. But they don't understand that he's going to be there 40 days and 40 nights. So now they're starting to wonder if he's ever coming back. Uh, and so they decide, well, the first thing we got to do is find a replacement. So they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, we need you to take over for Moses. Uh, and the first thing we want you to do is to get up and make us a God. And so it's almost not just the fact that Moses is gone. The fear is that Moses and God, Moses and his God, will never come back. And that's the fear. Um, and so, well, we need a God. And, and that God was scary anyhow, so give us another God. Make us a little golden God that we can all see and touch and we know where he's at and we know what kind of power he does and doesn't have. And we can, you know, we don't have to worry about if I leave this golden calf over here in this tent, I can go over there on the other side of the camp and do what I please and I don't have to worry about what he can see because I know he can't see me. This other God is so scary because he sees everything. Um, and so... You know, maybe it's God and it's Moses and Moses God that they fear is never coming back. Um, this terrifying God. And so they ask Aaron to make them a God. Um, you know, uh, uh, and, and this time we'll be safe about it. And so they make this golden calf, um, you know, this visual image that we can see. Um, but what should Aaron have said when they came and asked for him to make them a God? Aaron is Moses' brother, right? He knew what Moses was doing. He should have said, um, You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make unto me any graven images. Should have just quoted the first two commandments that Moses had given them, you know, God had declared to them actually in his own voice from the mountain. Um, just should have repeated those to him. But instead he said, Okay, bring me your gold. And again, we talked last week about where did they get this gold? God had put it in the Egyptians' heart and minds to give all their gold to the Hebrew children so that they would leave, so these plagues would stop. If you just give them all your gold and get them out of there, you'll be okay. And so they had given all their gold and jewels and everything of value to the Hebrews to take with them when they left. But now 
they've decided we're going to take that gold and we're going to make a calf. We're going to make a, our own God. We're, you know, in the previous cha chapter we looked at, not the previous, but the last lesson was about the building of the tabernacle and the plans for the tabernacle. And God had prescribed a lot of uses for the gold that they had collected um, in the Ark of the Covenant and the, you know, the cherubim angels. And there was gold all in that. Um, and instead of using it for that, we're going to use it to build our own little God, our golden calf. Um, and so they, they, they defied the first and second commandments when they decided to build this God. Um, now they do say that when they refer to it as this God, this golden calf, they say this gods, these gods are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. So it's almost as if they're just adding the calf to the true God. You know, because there's no way that you could give credit to this little golden thing that you just made for having done all that was done in Egypt and to bring them to this point. Um, I like Dr. DeGuid has a phrase in there. He, just, he describes it as the irrationality of idolatry in full display. It's irrational to give credit to a golden cow that you just made for stuff that's been done for all eternity or even last week or even yesterday. I mean, it's irrational, and that's what idolatry is. It's an irrational thing. Um, so it seems that a minimum Aaron should have said, no, we can't do this. But instead, he, he seems to be very compliant, seems to be almost okay with what they're asking him to do. Um, and maybe to almost try and save face, he does say, well, let's have a festival to the Lord tomorrow. And he uses the word Yahweh, the true name of God, when he says that, the festival to the Lord. Um, tomorrow in honor of this new calf we have, this new golden calf. Um, and so the people, you know, rally around that and they bring their offerings and their, you know, their, their sacrifices and all that and present them. Um, but it turns into basically pagan worship. Um, you know, revelry is the word that's used in scripture uh, in some interpretations, but it really has a connotation of pagan worship, orgies, the like not something honoring to God, um, not even something directed at God. But the thing is, God was watching. He's always watching. And so we continue in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people, talking to Moses, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on to his people. 
So God refers to them here at the beginning of this section to Moses as these are your people. These are, it was you that brought them out of um, Egypt. And what he's really saying is these are no longer my people. My people wouldn't behave like this. My people would not be stiff-necked. My people would not be disobedient. These are not my people, Moses. Um, basically, I have rejected them for their sin already, um, and there will be judgment. You know, that's the, the extent to what God is saying to Moses. It's not that he says, these are your people, Moses. He's just saying, these are sinful people, and they cannot abide with me. Um, you know, and then it's, it's Moses is caught in very much the same situation that Noah was caught in when God said, I'm going to flood the earth, destroy everybody, and Noah goes and pleads to God, don't, please don't, don't. But he does. Um, Moses is the same way. He goes to God and he pleads, please don't. Um, you know, spare these people. Um, and this is, you know, the, the first occasion where we see the word stiff-necked, um, but it becomes a common description of Israel found throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, that You know, the, the idea that these are a stiff-necked, hard-headed, disobedient uh, kind of people. Um, and to destroy them, God would have been justified in destroying them. He would have been justified uh, to destroy them for their sins. But God, but Moses pleads, and he comes back to God with almost the same exact words that God said, and he reminds them, these are your people, God, that you brought out, God, from Egypt. You brought them out, and what would the Egyptians think now? Your whole purpose in sending the plagues and the parting of the sea and everything you did to get the people out of Egypt was to let the Egyptians understand who God really is, to show who you were. Uh, and if you just bring them out here and destroy them, then what are the Egyptians going to think about God? They're not going to know who you are. They're not really going to understand who you are if that's what you do. Just bring them out here to kill them. Um, and then he also reminds him of his own covenant. God, you're a covenant God. You're, you based the covenant on your own self, and you made the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and you've promised all this to the people. You can't go against your own covenant. You can't break your own covenant. Whether your people break the covenant or not, you still can't go against your own covenant. And so Moses reminds him, God of these things, um, and, and it says the Lord relented. Well, you would immediately think, okay, Moses changed his mind, right? He convinced him. Well, that's not true because in Numbers twenty-three nineteen it tells us God's not a man that he should lie or the son of man um, that he should change his mind. So God's not going to lie and he's not going to change his mind. So there's no way Moses would ever change his mind if that was what his will was. Um, but what Moses does is he does exactly what God knew he would do. He does exactly what God would expect him to do, would want him to do in this situation, is to remind him so that he sees in Moses, okay, there is hope for the people. There is somebody who understands who I am as God. Um, there is somebody who understands the covenant relationship that I have with my people. Um, and he had started this whole thing out with, give me rest, which means just leave me alone, Moses. Um, go away. But Moses refused to even do that as he pleads for his people until God finally comes back and confirms, you are right, Moses. I have no intentions of breaking my covenant. But there will still be judgment. Um, in verse 15, Moses turned went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand 
tablets that were written on both sides. And I think that's a, a funny verse because God knows they've already broken the covenant. Why send it to them now? Why give them a written copy now? They've already, you know. But, you know, Moses, he, God still writes out the tablets and gives it to him. He says, on the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. They are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land, land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. Pretty amazing. Miraculous, you know. Sounds like work of God, right? There's a lot of people who work that way. Oh, something happened I can't explain. It must be the work of God, good, bad, or indifferent. Must be. Um, so Moses has come down and confronted the people. You know, he, he had interceded on their behalf before the Lord, but that didn't mean he was happy with them. That didn't mean that he didn't understand God's point of view. So now he comes down um, to confront the people, and he hears the revelry and all the partying going on, and he sees the calf, and he's just overcome, and he slings the tablets down, busts them into pieces, burns up the golden calf and then grinds up the remains into little powder, puts it in some water, um, and has the people drink the water. Now, this seems like a strange thing, but there is a, a in Numbers, there's a, a test for when somebody's um, accused of adultery um, that they mix some water and powder and make it bitter, and if the, they drink it and the water makes them sick, they have some kind of reaction to the water, then they're guilty. If, they, if the water has no effect on them, then they're innocent of the adultery charge. Um, and so here's a case where we're going to, you know, Moses is symbolically saying, everybody drink this because you have been accused of adultery, but there's no doubt you're all guilty. There's no doubt. Uh, that's not even up for debate. Um, so then he moves on over and he confronts, after confronting the people, he confronts Aaron and, and says, what, what, what's, what happened, Aaron? Um, and he said, well, it's the people. The people, they're set on evil. You know the people, Moses. You've had to deal with them. Um, they're they're stiff-necked, horrible people, and, and it's the people's fault. And besides that, Moses, where have you been? We didn't know where you were. Well, you thought you was gone forever. Where, you know, it's your fault. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of excuses. And then the great story about, well, I just melted some gold through it, in a, or, you know, and it came out a cow. I don't know what happened. I don't know how that happened. Um, and it's, you know, but it's referred to throughout this passage uh, and, and the next, the term great sin. Um, and the idea of great sin in all, you know, in, in the ancient times, in these days, if you said great sin, you were talking adultery. Um, that was the great sin. Um, and so, you know, not only did this test that Moses made the people do to drink the bitter water, um, but also um, 
you know, he refers to it as a great sin. Again, the idea of adultery, uh, the idea of breaking the covenant, um, you know, that, uh, um, that the people had broken their covenant with God. Uh, and they would deserve the punishment, um, which in the day, punishment for adultery was death. So then in verse 25, my clock didn't make it, huh? Didn't survive, so <laughs> let me check here. Oh, we got that. <laughs> verse 25, when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi had gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold, and now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. So Israel's sin had tremendous consequences. Moses tries to summon the people to all gather, and the only people who show up are the tribe of Levi, the sons of Levi. Um, they're the only ones who show up, um, which is, uh, um, you know, kind of sad, you know, sad response. You know, the people had not even, most of them had not even recognized their failings in this golden calf. They didn't understand why Moses broke the tablets. They didn't understand what they had done that was so horrible. Um, and so when Moses summons the people, only gets one tribe to show up. And so he instructs that tribe that your job is to pronounce judgment, to go throughout the camp, kill neighbor, brother, friend, whoever. Um, you know, whoever has rejected the Lord, um, that's who they were to kill. And I don't think it was some kind of random killing. I think this was all God's design so that the, the people that needed to be killed were killed. Um, but about 3,000 were killed in total. Uh, but the interesting thing is, that in verse 29, Moses says, said, Today you've been ordained for the service of the Lord. Which you would think, first of all, okay, they've been ordained to carry out this judgment. But Moses is talking about more than that. See, the tribe of Levi was at this point a homeless tribe because back in Genesis, that, I mean, they were a warlike people who were, you know, um, you know, were easily provoked to anger and would kill you at the drop of a hat anyhow. Um, and they had carried out their wrath upon the people of Shechem in Genesis 34. And as a result, Jacob had issued a curse that when we get to the promised land, you don't get any land. 
you will have to just live wherever you can find to live within Israel, but you don't get a section of land. Every other tribe gets a section of land. You don't get one. Um, and so that was a curse that they were having to endure. But now at this point, because they're the only tribe that came forward and was faithful to, the, um, to, to repent for what had happened, now they are ordained for service. Uh, and it continues on that so he might bestow a blessing on you this day. This is where they're actually ordained to become the priestly tribe. And now they just still don't have land, but the concept is as priest, you're going to be dispersed throughout all of Israel, teaching the word, teaching the law. And so it's amazing how God redeemed even the tribe of Levi through this horrible process um, to bring them back to a point where he could now make them his priest um, to serve the people. Um, again, in verse 30, we refer to this as the great sin, um, you know, the, the, you know, the covenant breaking um, that has occurred um, by the people. Um, and I wanted to look here in the teacher's guide. It, it kind of concludes um, these last few verses. Um, Israel's great sin, they'd engaged in idolatry. They had turned away from the voice of God as proclaimed both by Moses and by God's own thundering voice from the mountain. They had instead turned to an image of God, which was in direct contradiction to the word of God. Um, they had built an idol that had been forbidden. They had placed another God before God, which had been forbidden. Um, they committed the same sin that Adam and Eve committed, um, but rather than taking God at his word, but by instead, by instead uh, trying to redeem themselves through some image or, uh, that, in which they would ascribe God-like characters. Uh, so Moses thinks, okay, maybe I can atone for their sin. So he goes back to God and he says, you know, please forgive their sins. But if you won't forgive their sins, then let me take their place. Well, is that not an image of what's going to ultimately happen? Somebody's going to have to take our place, right? Because none of us can stand before God as perfect, holy individuals. And so Moses declares, I'll stand, I'll, let me be the sacrificial one. Let me be the, the one who, who dies in their place if you'll just spare you the, your people. Um, but as we know, Moses was not perfect either, was he? In fact, later Moses would get himself in some trouble um, in which would prevent him from ever being able to enter the promised land. So Moses was not worthy to sacrifice for the people to, to make their, their relationship with God right. Um, as he too was a sinner. Um, but it points to the one who would come that John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was the song on the... Worthy is, worthy is the Lamb. See, here's, there's the one who is worthy, and it's not Moses. Moses was, you know, his name was inscribed in the book, and God is also saying, I determine whose names are in the book, not you, Moses. But Moses was not the worthy Lamb who was able to satisfy the demand for pure holiness that was required uh, in order to save his people, to redeem his people. So through this ugly scene of a golden calf, out of this we again get the same picture um, that, that Jesus um, is, is what all this points to. It's what the law points to. Uh, it's what the picture of the tabernacle points to. 
um, everything, again, continues to point. It doesn't say the law was never intended to save anybody, but it was to point to the one who could. Uh, and it doesn't lessen the law, doesn't lessen our need to follow the law, but it reminds us of who is supposed to, who is going to come and save us. And that was Jesus. Um, and so, you know, as you look at this and, and as we go through this Old Testament, to me it's almost depressing because the people fail so often. But then when I look at my life, I do the same thing, don't I? So many times I mess up. And I just wonder, why do you do that again? Why do you do that again? Um, and I'm reminded, well, God is a long-suffering, gracious God. And even though he burned with anger and his people deserved to be judged, he still had a plan to save his people, those who he would call to himself, those who would be in his book of life. Somebody got any comments or questions? Yeah. He martyred. He martyred. Moses is the only one in the Bible that martyred his God. He, yeah. he showed him. You know, you said this. Yep. These people are gonna laugh at you if you do this. Yep. But the other thing is, I can't understand why God told Moses on the mountain that his people went away, and he came down and still busted the tablets. Yep. But he had already been forewarned. Well, that's why we made. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way with me, but that's just my humanity. I, you know, if God had said, all right, go back down, but here's the tablets, and I just said, what's the point now, God? What's the point? You know, if, if I take them down there, what do you, you know. So I, it, it, some of it's kind of, kind of humorous almost, um, but sad in reality. The people didn't know what was on the tablets, according to the movie. <laughs> the Ten Commandments, you understand? Yeah, but, but they did, because... Five chapters earlier, yeah. God had declared it from the mountain yeah. to them. <laughs> but isn't it something how Moses threw the tablets down and broke them, you know? Yep, yep. And they would, he would, you know, his, his grace would, would allow him to again give him new tablets. And uh, he again would say, you know, I'm going to send an angel to lead you. And, you know, he, you know, he shows his grace to the people. Um, 3,000 people dying seems like a lot, I don't know, you know, but we've, the understanding is there were hundreds of thousands of them that came out of Egypt. Um, so it's no worse than COVID, right, percentage-wise? I was going to say, we don't, but we so. don't understand how Egypt could have been so stupid. Yeah. But look at America with what God gave us and the fact that we threw him away and he sends a flood, and is the flood bringing great revival? Not yet. Mm -mm. Not yet. Mm -mm. We're still as stupid as Egypt. Yep. Yep. So, well, let's close in a word of prayer. Most gracious Father, again, just thank you for your word. I thank you um, that as we look at the life of the Israelis, of the Israelites, Lord, that the, uh, you know, it is sad that we can see so much of ourselves in them as stiff-necked people, hard-headed, um, disobedient so many times, Lord. But thankfully, you have met the burden of 
pure holiness in your Son. Uh, and his death and resurrection has spared us the judgment that we deserve. And so, Lord, we praise you for that today. And we hold tight to that promise um, that because of his blood, we will one day be in heaven. And we just thank you for that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.